The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. that we're going to look at is in, a, in one simple statement that's made in one single verse. That verse is verse 21. But before we, we make that statement, before we look at that emphasis, I'd like to set up what's happening here in John chapter 12. I mean, the ministry of Jesus Christ is at a, a peak and a pinnacle as far as the world at that time had ever known. The ministry of Jesus Christ has is, is got massive uh, following and there are wonderful miracles in fact, the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead has just happened. And it turned the entire nation upside down. I mean, it turned the nation so upside down, people were leaving their homes and traveling great distance just to try to catch one of the meetings that would have Jesus performing these miracles and these signs and wonders. It's at the absolute peak of this ministry and this anointing that's flowing that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And when he enters into Jerusalem, it is a riot. People are, are throwing uh, blankets and garments into the street and they're waving palm branches and throwing them in the street. They're welcoming Jesus as if he is their king. And it is not just a handful of people. It is such a mob of people that it causes political turmoil. So this is the scene that's happening as you read through John chapter 12. You have this wonderful celebration. Everyone is so excited that, that Jesus has, has come, that he's doing these wonderful things. We see these great things. We hear of these great things. And here he comes himself. And as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he, he gets to where he is settled. He gets to the place where he's staying. And all of a the sudden, there is a knock at the door. One of the disciples goes to check the door, a disciple named Philip. Who is it? Well, we're, we're not from here. We're visiting from out of town, but we have a request. Well, what's your request? This is how it reads when you read it in the scripture, John 12, 21. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's the request. Now, Philip doesn't know what to do with this. These are out-of-towners. They want to see Jesus. So he goes to Andrew, and he goes to Andrew and says, hey, we got some guys at the door that want to see Jesus. They're not from around here. They're from out of town. What do we do? So Andrew says, well, let's just go ask Jesus. So Philip and Andrew go, and they go find Jesus and say, Jesus, we got some guys at the door. They're not from around here. And this is what they said. They said, sir, we want to see Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't say this exactly, but you can read between the lines. Jesus doesn't just say like, uh, send them away, I'm tired, I'm busy. And he doesn't say, oh, send them in, I'm happy to see them anytime. But he gives this long and intentional response that paints the picture that Jesus is extremely excited about this. That what's going on here is no small thing, it's a big deal. In fact, he goes on to say statements like, this is why I came. The hour has now come. Them knocking on the door is a much bigger deal than you could ever know. God has magnified his power and he's magnified his authority so much that those from the other side of the world are coming and knocking saying, we want to see Jesus. Jesus. 
I mentioned before we were going to find out what the world wants. That's it right there. Whether they will admit it or not, the world wants to see Jesus. Now that puts us in a bit of a spot. It puts me in a bit of a spot as a pastor. And it puts me in a bit of a spot as a Christian, the same spot that we would all be in because we have the calling and the anointing to carry the ministry of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's amazing to me what they asked. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Now, oftentimes we've responded to that request, right? Somebody wanting to see Jesus, and so we respond to that by, well, let me let you hear Jesus. So we'll preach to you. If you log on to www.myministryisawesome.com, you can find all of my sermons and you can hear all about Jesus. Sir, we want to see Jesus. And our response to that needs to be understood that, that this is something that is witnessed. It's something that is seen. It goes beyond words and it steps into actions. When the world cries out that declaration, that request, when the world makes that cry, sir, we want to see Jesus, we need to understand that they're looking for something. And as they look to believers, as they look to Christians, as they look to the church, we need to ask ourselves, are they seeing Jesus? I want to give you a passage of scripture, a bit of a recipe for Jesus. I've come to this conclusion that the only Jesus this world is ever going to see is the Jesus that's in me and in you. He's put himself inside of us to function and operate as his body on the earth. He's anointed us. He's given us his name, all of the authority that's connected with it so that we could function, operate, live, breathe, and minister just like him. And as he's done this, I know that he's done this for a purpose. It's to respond to this call, this desire, this urgency that the world has to see him. So if I know that the world wants to see Jesus, and if I know that Jesus has made a way for the world to see him in me, I want to find out what must I do to live out my life in such a way that when the world looks at me, they see him. Now, I don't know how many of you spend much time in the kitchen. My wife is a phenomenal cook, so I'm pretty much banned from the kitchen. When I step foot into the kitchen, it causes problems. I have ruined pots and pans. We have a, a pot that is, is known as, you know, that's daddy's pot. It's what he makes popcorn in because he ruined it like five years ago. And now I'm forced to eat my popcorn out of that pot until Jesus comes back as a reminder <laughs> that I am not to touch her cookware ever ever. But I enjoy the concept of being in the kitchen because they're, it's amazing. You produce something. I mean, you follow a recipe, you put a little bit of this, you put a little bit of that, and you get a result. Well, when I look to the scripture, I, I see a recipe for Jesus. What it is that makes Jesus stand out to the world as something desirable to be seen and sought after. And so I want to give this to you as a bit of a recipe for Jesus. Something that we can take a look at, find out what are the ingredients that make up Jesus Christ, and let's see to it that those ingredients are mixed properly in our life so that when the world looks at us, they see Jesus. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 10. I want to read verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as it's being written here, we're hearing about Jesus. 
And I want you to pay attention to these words and let's see if we can find the ingredients that make up Jesus Christ, the recipe for Jesus. The words begin like this. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I mean, you could take that passage of scripture and focus on it all day. The volume of information, instruction, counsel, and example that exists in that passage of scripture ought to be paid attention to. You know Jesus Christ of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It's my goal for every believer that I encounter, myself included, every member of Champions Church, or every believer that we work with in any form of discipleship, whether it's here in the city of Abilene, whether it's on the other side of the world, it's my desire to be able to substitute that person's name for the name Jesus of Nazareth in that passage. I would love to be able to say, you know Preston Humphreys, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It's my desire to be able to insert my name here, and I think that's really what we ought to pursue as believers, as disciples. I want to be able to, thanks to the power of the blood of Jesus, thanks to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, thanks to the will of God and the work of our King Jesus, insert my name here. In fact, we ought to be able to do that. Insert name here. Insert name here. So we look at that. What does that contain? What does it mean to look like Jesus? If you were to insert your name there, how would you be being described and what would that mean? First of all, anointed by God with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's an important thing. I mean, we're meant to pursue these things. Jesus gave this commission to go, to go, to go, to go. Go into all of the world, making disciples. Go into all of the world, preaching the gospel. Go into all of the world, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. We hear that go and we rev the engines. But then Jesus said, wait. Don't go until. Don't go until. You've been clothed with power from on high. So for me as a Christian, what I understand is this first step in looking like Jesus, if I insert my name there, now you know Preston Humphreys, how God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power. Step one to looking like Jesus, being anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. This is a work that Jesus himself does. You may recall from the scripture, we don't have to go there necessarily, but as Jesus is being described and identified by the one who came before him, John the Baptist, he identifies Jesus as this, the one who baptizes in fire and with the Holy Spirit. I remember when I became a Christian, I remember the moment it happened. I surrendered my life to God. I no longer wanted to do things my way, but I was committed to doing things His way. It was a wonderful moment of surrender, and I knew that my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I knew there was a commission to go, but I also knew that I needed to wait. Wait until the power of God was upon my life for that purpose. And so I made it a personal priority 
to pursue God's Spirit in my life. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, the fire of God, the power of God, whatever biblical description you want to use. When I became a believer, I knew this is what I need. The world will never see Jesus when they look at me if they don't see the power of the Holy Spirit active in my life. So I knew this required attention, priority, pursuit. Now, it's up to God, it's up to Jesus as to when this moment or this event happens. It's not like the Cub Scouts where you fulfill a few activities and you get your merit badge. But I knew that this was a priority, and I remember putting a pursuit, a priority of pursuit upon it. I mean, without going into details, I can tell you probably one of the biggest things I did was I unplugged my television. I just unplugged it. Because I would work all day and then I would come home and turn on the TV and I would just sit there and get that blue glow, sunburn, you know, from sitting in front of the TV until it was time to go to bed and then I would wake up in the morning and do it all over again. So as prioritizing this pursuit, knowing I want to be filled with the power of God, I'm going to pursue what your word says until I receive what your word says. It started with making time. And for me personally, it was taking away all the distractions. You want to hear something crazy? I would walk in for a week after I made that commitment. And as soon as I walked through the door, I would hit the power button on the television, even though it was unplugged, just out of habit. And when I would hit it, nothing would come on. But it wasn't just about cutting that out. It was about adding what was next. I began to read in the scripture all of the promises that God made concerning being filled with his power and the Holy Spirit moving and active in my life. And I began to, to pray about those things, praying simple prayers. Father, I read this. I believe that it's true, and I want it to be in my life. And it wasn't about repetition or the amount of times that that was prayed. It wasn't as if if you pray this prayer a thousand times, you will get your request. It was just a matter of priority of pursuit. And as we position our lives to look like Jesus, we need to prioritize the pursuit of God's Spirit active and powerful in our lives. Then from there it says, Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. When our lives are examined as Christians, I ask the question, is that a good description for me? Am I willing to drop what I'm doing to help those around me? Are my eyes up and seeing the hurt and the wound and the oppression, the rejection of the people around me, or am I busy focused on my own things? For us to look like Jesus, for the world to look upon us and see Jesus, one, we've got to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Two, we've got to be putting other people first. Seeing to it that their needs are met. Seeing to it that they hear the news that they need to hear, the word of God that they need to hear, and receive the ministry that they so desperately need. And then there's this third element. He's anointed with power in the Holy Spirit. He's healing those who are oppressed by the devil. And then this reason for this, this third element here, for God was with him. For God was with him. Now that passage of scripture by itself can seem kind of simple. But it's such a complex thing to consider when you come to understand our heavenly father and his heart. God will not be shared he will not be put on a throne with another sitting beside him. In order for God to be with us, it means there's no idolatry. There's no other pursuit. There's nothing else in our life that is leading and guiding 
uh, offering up competition to his word or his direction or his counsel. So for me to look like Jesus when the world looks at me, it starts with the Holy Spirit's activity in my life, the power of God in my life. It, it, it's the result of, of actions and activities that put him first in pursuit. The word makes this promise, seek me that you may find me. And we need to see that power not being obtained and hoarded for ourselves. It doesn't make us super Christians. Rather, it's meant to be shared, poured out and given. That's why that next thing is putting other people first, ministering to others. And then seeing to it that we have no gods before God. That He comes first into our lives. We have this call upon our life to look like Jesus. And for some of us, it's hard to wrap our minds around that. It seems like it's a distant thing that, that's difficult to achieve. But you know, for all of the wonderful messages that Jesus would preach, all of the truth that he would bring, he ministered something at the end of his message that today I listen to as I read. I hear it in my head and I think, well, no wonder they crucified him. He gets done preaching and he finishes up his message with these words found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, he's setting the bar pretty high, isn't he? He'll preach a message, and you heard that message, and it's probably been an hour or two out of your day. You walked in with horrendous problems and issues and challenges, and then he spoke about a treasure in a field, or he talked about a, 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 a seed that grew into a big tree. And then when he gets done preaching that message, he looks at you and says, now go and be perfect. He's calling us to a maturity, to a growth, a perfection. He's raising a bar and then he's committing to see to it that we are raised up with it. His promise in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 is to continue that perfection process throughout our entire existence. When the world looks at us, the world can see Jesus. And the reason why they can see Jesus is because of the love of God in our lives. I want to give you a few passages of scripture as we begin to advance in the message one, I want to give you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. It's extremely simple, and it reads like this. Love never fails. Love never fails. By that definition, it's love that would be perfect. If Jesus' call upon my life and your life is to be perfect, just like God is perfect, then that means there's no room for failure. And when we hear that, it seems as if it's impossible to obtain. But yet he's made a way for the very thing that brings perfection into our lives to enter in. When he himself is the evidence of it. The perfect love of God. Love never fails. When we have love in our lives, the love of God, we come to know the perfection that God has called us to. I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture to get some uh, uh, to get some information, some knowledge concerning this perfection that we're called to. One, how to test yourself. How to test yourself for perfection. How to test yourself for perfection. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. We're going to call it the perfection test, okay? 
the perfection test. It reads like this. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. If I apply that verse to my life to test my life, what I'm looking for is the presence of fear. Does fear exist in my life? If fear exists in my life, it doesn't mean that I need courage or bravery. It means there's an absence of love. There's an imperfection that exists in me that hasn't been perfected by the love, the mercy, the grace, the full measure of God's uh, identity and his love through Jesus Christ existing and active in my life. If I find myself constantly given to fear and anxiety, it's going to reveal the need for this perfection that God promises in that area of my life, in that situation, or in that circumstance. So then I'm wondering, well, that's good to know, but what if I fail that test? What if I apply that test to my life and I find that I'm very fearful, that I'm always fearful that I'm going to be broke, or that I'm always fearful that my family is going to suffer hardship, or I'm always fearful that I'm not going to succeed, or I'm always fearful. What if I find out that I am fearful? What do I do then? Do I just be miserable and know that, well, I'm a stinker, God has a lot of firecrackers out there, and I'm his dud. It's not good just to find out that you fail the test. We need to find out what we need to do when we fail the test. And notice I didn't say if. I said when. When we fail that test, there's something that we need. It's kind of a, a how-to now. I told you let's do that one and identify it as the, the perfection test. Now let's look at, at the how-to, how to get perfected. So let me give you a passage of scripture here as we pursue perfection. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. It starts with the issue of a condition, the word if. Right? If is a conditional word. If he would hurry up and get done preaching, I could go eat lunch, right? If. It opens up with the word if offering a condition, and it reveals to us a wonderful instruction that leads to perfection. I want you to listen close to this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to read that again. And I want to look at it. I want to break it down. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That love that drives out fear. That love that, that leaves us perfected in our mind and in our heart. That love that creates the stability that we need to be consistent. And not excited and courageous one day and fearful and anxious, anxious the next. Not loving and joyful one day and angry and depressed the next. But that love that brings perfection, consistency, stability. It starts with loving one another. Now I think I can understand now why there's such a scheme and an agenda from all of my enemies to keep me so busy that I can't engage with my brethren in the body of Christ. Because if I can't love one another, if I can't be engaged with you and you and you within the body of Christ, it's going to affect the amount of His love that exists in me. And it's His love that brings about the perfection and the stability that leads me to that maturity that I've been called to. That when the world would look at me, they would see Jesus. 
So when we find out we're failing the love test, when we find out there's a need for that perfection and that stability, I think there's a need to respond according to this verse, come together. You find your fellowship, your connection within the body of Christ. Fulfill that scripture of loving one another, knowing that God will do the rest, abiding among us and his love being magnified in us. And it's that love that perfects. And then here's the result. If I take these passages of Scripture and I map them out, I come to this conclusion, 1 John 4. We see this about keeping the Word of God. It reads like this, Whoever keeps His Word, in Him the love of God has truly been perfected. Now I could read that passage of Scripture and I could see it two different ways. One way is not necessarily better than the other, but I want to offer it to you backwards as well as forwards. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Now that could position me to live a life that is, is burdened with the need to keep God's word in order to be perfected. Or I could run it backwards and I could see this. The one that's perfected by God's love keeps his word. And if I spend my life trying to keep his word so that his love will be perfected in me, the danger is legalism. The danger is, is a burden and a hardship. The danger is the law prevailing over grace. But if I run that backwards and I see what it's being, uh, what's being communicated, the one who's been perfected in the love of God keeps God's word. What I realize now is I need fellowship. I need to be plugged into the body of Christ because that's where God's love is magnified. That's where it's perfected in us. And when it's perfected in us, we can then keep his word. And it's what we need to live a perfect life. Because God's word enters into our heart and it enters into our mind. It changes who we are and it changes how we think and behave. The word that the scripture uses <clears throat> is renewed. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, Romans chapter 12 verse 2. It's an instruction to us. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect. Did you hear that word perfect? It starts with having our minds renewed, our hearts renewed by the word of God. And we've got to be in fellowship with one another to see that perfected within us. I mentioned before we have the solution to every single problem that this world has. I want to offer this as an idea, as a, a thought. I want to give you a passage of scripture and allow you to look at it in your own time. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Paul's writing and he's talking about spiritual giftings. Manifestation of the Holy Spirit active in our life. Remember as the world looks at us and sees Jesus, they're going to see the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He goes through this list and he gives this reminder concerning spiritual gifts. Beginning in verse 1, he writes this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, don't be unaware. It's an interesting thing, right? When a man's writing a letter that he would want to draw your attention that you shouldn't be unaware of something. I think it's important that we see the emphasis and the urgency on what he's speaking about. Because it goes without saying he's wanting to communicate something. I mean, he's writing it down and he's sending it. If I were to sit down and write you a letter, you would know that I had something to say. 
But if I were to sit down and write you a letter, and in the middle of that letter I would say, hey, please pay very close attention to these next words, you would understand that there's an emphasis that needs to be added, an urgency. And this emphasis and this urgency is upon the gifts of the Holy Spirit meant to be flowing through our lives. He says there's a variety of gifts. They come from the, the same Spirit. A variety of ministries, the same Lord. A variety of effects, but the same God who works all of these things. He goes on to talk about the giftings and the manifestations, and he gives a list of these things. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Faith. Healing and the effecting of miracles. Prophecy and the distinguishing of spirits and tongues and interpretation of tongues. All of these things are things that are meant to be active in our life for the purpose of doing the ministry that God's called us to do and showing the world the ministry of Jesus Christ through our existence. And it's this that God's given us for a wonderful purpose. You remember when I, we started, I let you know that we were going to find what we're meant to share with God. I want to offer this as we close here. What we're meant to share with God, I want you to find it in 2 Peter, in chapter 1. I want to read verses 3 and 4. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It talks about what God's doing in our lives. As He's empowering us with His Spirit, as He's anointing us with the Holy Ghost, just like Jesus, there's a purpose behind this. To reveal to the world Jesus. And I want you to see in this passage of Scripture that this calling is, is something throughout the Scripture. A priority for us to catch and to pursue. 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 3, it speaks of His divine power. And by God's divine power, He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His grace to His own glory and excellence. It goes on to say this in verse 4. For by these things God's granted to us precious and magnificent promises, so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that exists in this world through lust. That's that last part that I want us to catch as we close. That all of this work that God's doing on our behalf, all of His promise poured out to us, fulfilled, with the mercy and the grace that's revealed through the blood of the covenant with our King Jesus offering himself in our place, coming out of the grave exalted forevermore as our King and pouring out the Holy Spirit upon our lives. All of these promises, all of this is so that by these things we may become partakers in the divine nature. We may become participants with God in his nature. We may look just like Jesus. And it's that that the world's crying out for. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. It's my desire for every one of us that there be a hunger inside of us, an urgency, a fire kindled in us to live out our lives in such a way that as the world looks upon us, they see Jesus. It's my heart's desire that we take that passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 10, verse 38, and we make it our mission that our name goes here. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we pray together and believe God for something great. That you, as a child of God, would have your name inserted into that passage of Scripture. That the world would know you and how God anointed you with the Holy Spirit and with power.
and how you went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God is with you. It's my desire to see that come to pass. There where you stand, I want to pray together and I want to trust God and believe God for something absolutely incredible this morning. A transformation of our mind and how we think and a softening in our heart and how we act and behave so that when the world looks upon us, the world would see Jesus. There where you stand, I want to pray and ask God to do these things. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We receive your word as truth. We thank you for the love that brings perfection into our life. And we ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would reveal to us the priority and the importance of loving one another, that your love would be perfected in us, that there be no room for fear or anxiety to prevail in us. But let it be so that when we walk in such a way as to love one another, your love would be perfected in us, that we would carry out your word, that we would function and operate in such a way that as the world looks upon our lives, they would see Jesus. We thank you for the call to perfection and we thank you for the promise to see perfection through to fruition. And as we stand together in agreement and prayer, we ask, Father, that it could be spoken of us by your wonderful goodwill toward us and the fulfillment of your promise to redeem and pour out the Holy Spirit. Let our name, let our name be given as a substitute there that when the world looks upon us, it could be spoken that we have been called by you and anointed by the power of the Holy Ghost, that we have been sent out to heal those who were oppressed by Satan, that we would be those who would be described as being with you and you being with us. Let perfection have its wonderful work in us as your love is celebrated through our love for one another. We bless your name and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.